This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com with your Sunday update for this 13th day of February 2011. And now for the real news. Leading the news this week, war criminal Donald Rumsfeld was on hand at this year's Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C. to receive an award signifying his status as a defender of the Constitution. The honor was particularly baffling to observers who noted that in his time as Secretary of Defense under George W. Bush, Rumsfeld oversaw the unconstitutional imprisonment of American citizens without trial, the unconstitutional torture of detainees under American detainment at Abu Ghraib, the unconstitutional information operations roadmap, which instructed U.S. PSYOPs personnel that American military propaganda could be used against the American population, and the unconstitutional declaration of the Coast Guard as a branch of military under the newly formed and unconstitutional Department of Homeland Security in 2003 with the unconstitutional authority to administer martial law on civilians. Added to these points are the equally dubious, although not necessarily unconstitutional, distinctions of having presided over a Defense Department that lost at least $3.5 trillion in fiscal years 2001 to 2005, $2.3 trillion of which was reported missing on September 10, 2001, the day before Rumsfeld's military presided over the most spectacular failure of U.S. air defenses in the history of America. Rumsfeld also participated in the deliberate deceit about weapons of mass destruction, which led to an unconstitutional war in Iraq, which was in fact never declared a war by Congress, but remained an unconstitutional military operation decreed by unconstitutional executive fiat. Well, let me just ask you this. If they did not have these weapons of mass destruction, though, granted all of that is true, Mm -hmm. Why then did they pose an immediate threat to us, to well, this you're country? The, you and a few other critics are the only people I've heard use the phrase immediate threat. I didn't. The president didn't. And uh, it's become kind of folklore that that's, that's what's happened. The president went... You're saying that nobody in the administration uh, said I, that? I can't speak for nobody and everybody in the administration and say nobody said the vice that. vice president didn't say that? Not, if you have any citations... Uh, I'd like to see him. Yeah, here it says some have argued that the nu- this is you speaking. Some have argued that the nuclear threat from Iraq is not imminent. That Saddam is at least five to seven years away from having nuclear weapons. I would not be so certain. Mm-hmm. And and uh, close to imminent. <laughs> well, um, I, I tried to be precise and I've tried to be accurate. I'm so. No terrorist state poses a greater or more immediate threat to the security mm-hmm. of our people and the stability of the world than the regime of Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, my view of the, the situation was that he, he had, we, we believed, the best intelligence that we had and other countries had. Appropriately enough, the Orwellian scene was capped when ex-Vice President Dick Cheney was called out to present the award to Rumsfeld. At least one audience member, however, was struck by the discordant nature of the scene to apply a different moniker to the former Vice President. In related news, unindicted war criminal George W. Bush was not able to laugh off such a serious accusation earlier last week when a Swiss human rights group's threat to file war crimes charges against him led to Bush cancelling a trip to Switzerland. 
And former President Bush has canceled a trip to Switzerland. He was scheduled to go on Saturday to speak. However, there was a group there called the Center for Constitutional Rights that says it was prepared to file a legal complaint against the former president if he went to Switzerland. They also want him to be prosecuted for, quote, approving torture of terror suspects. In related news, the U.S. military-trained and Israel-approved Egyptian transition leader Omar Suleiman is coming under fire as he is being revealed to be not only a successor puppet for U.S.-Israeli interests in the region, but actively colluded with war criminal Bush in his illegal and unconstitutional extraordinary rendition program. Omar Suleiman is a longtime ally of the United States. He played a key role in the U.S. Extraordinary Rendition Program. He also underwent training in the 1980s at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare School and Center at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Newly released classified U.S. diplomatic cables from WikiLeaks reveal that Israeli officials have long hoped that newly appointed Egyptian Vice President Omar Suleiman would eventually succeed Hosni Mubarak as President of Egypt. In an August 2008 cable, a U.S. diplomat wrote, quote, there is no question that Israel is most comfortable with the prospect of Omar Suleiman. For more about Suleiman, we're joined right now by Lisa Hijar, a professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. She recently wrote an article called Omar Suleiman, the CIA's man in Cairo and Egypt's torturer in chief. And Suleiman, of course, had, you know, not only as the chief of um, Egyptian intelligence, but also ideologically deeply committed to an anti-Islamist politics and something that, you know, endeared him certainly to George Bush. When in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, just within days, George, President George Bush authorized the CIA to engage in a much different kind of program, establishing the black prisons, um, the extraordinary rendition program, which meant the right to kidnap people from anywhere and either disappear them into black sites or send them to third countries for torture by proxy. And Egypt was the primary destination, although other countries were also destinations for these American tor CIA torture flights. Many are pointing out that the Obama administration's tacit support for a Suleiman presidency in Egypt is the 2011 equivalent of the Reagan administration's friendship with Saddam Hussein, in which representatives of the Defense Department, including Donald Rumsfeld, gave approval and support for Hussein's brutal dictatorship and sold him the chemical weapons that they only blamed him for using when they were building a case for war against him. In related news... The current political destabilization in Egypt has been largely pegged on recent dramatic rises in food prices around the world. Now, much of the spike in food prices in recent years is being blamed not on crop failures or weather anomalies, but on speculation by the very hedge fund speculators who brought about the subprime loan fiasco and the current economic depression. Remember the real estate bubble? Wall Street wanted to hedge all those bets it made on mortgages. So they ramped up their bets on commodities. And when Wall Street started losing money on subprimes, they betted on commodities instead. By 2008, Wall Street had five times more futures contracts in commodities than it did in 2002. Commodity indexes held about $13 billion in 2003. By 2008, it was over a quarter trillion. That's how we got the oil bubble. Add record high gas prices to the cost of shipping food, plus speculators looking for another bubble, and you get a food bubble. By 2008, 
The UN estimates speculators held 65% of corn futures contracts, 68% of soybean, 80% of wheat. By mid-2008, the IMF food price index jumped more than 80% in just a year and a half before. It was the first time in history the proportion of people going hungry worldwide went up. The number of chronically malnourished people rose by 75 million in 2007, 40 million in 2008. That's why Egypt had riots back in 2008. In related news, those who are using the scientifically discredited theory of anthropogenic global warming to blame rising food prices on increases in man-made carbon dioxide are now paradoxically seeking to combat the problem by raising food prices. The journal Climate Change has just released a study that shows that adding $82 of tax onto the cost of beef for each ton of carbon dioxide equivalent would greatly reduce meat consumption, thus reducing the greenhouse gases released in the raising of livestock. However, the study is contradicted by findings that crop growth is in fact dependent on high levels of carbon dioxide, and that the current level of 380 parts per million in our atmosphere actually represents a relatively carbon dioxide starved environment, with commercial greenhouses pumping in as much as 1,000 parts per million carbon dioxide to achieve three times greater crop yield. Ironically, it was an earlier global warming fad, the use of ethanol for biofuel, that is now responsible for rising corn prices. Now 24% of the U.S. corn crop is mandated, mandated to go to ethanol, putting further strains on already scant world corn supplies. It remains to be seen when U.S.-backed Omar Suleiman will receive a Defender of Human Rights Award for participating in torture programs, when Goldman Sachs speculators will receive a Defender of the Hungry Award for helping cause more starving on the planet, or when the Global Warming Alarmists will receive a Defender of Low Food Prices Award for helping to raise food prices. Now, please go to CorporateReport.com to download episode 175 of The Corbett Report, The Rand Corporation Exposed, where we talk to Alex Abea, the author of Soldiers of Reason, about the think tank that has shaped our post-war world.